Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 332. Today's big Bible question, what seemingly benign activity invites quick judgment from God? Well, happy Monday to you, friends. I hope you're doing well and staying safe. We here in Central California have just entered our eighth month in quarantine, and like you've probably heard, we now have a curfew which means that I have been shut in with my family for the past eight months. And let me just tell you, they are the worst. Can you believe what my wife did to me yesterday? Okay, I'm just kidding around. And illustrating the topic of the podcast today, complaining. Most people, if given a list of sins to rank, from best to worst, would probably put complaining somewhere in the neighborhood of going five miles over the speed limit, saying fiddlesticks when you stub your toe, and fudging your weight by a couple of pounds on your driver's license. In other words, we don't think complaining is a big deal compared to some of the other super sins. Unfortunately, we aren't the judge of what is a big deal and what isn't, and it turns out that complaining is, in God's eyes, Actually, a really, really big deal. So let's read our James 5 passage and find out more. But listen carefully because it's only a short mention here. James chapter 5 verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be like a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look. The pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured You have heard of Job's endurance, and you've seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Well, the passage we're focusing on 
is James 5, verse 9. Brothers and sisters, it says, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Now, I believe I've told you before that on most nights, our family reads together one chapter of the Bible from the Bible reading plan, and tonight we read James 5, and I must confess that I read and reread and emphasized James 5, 9, because we have five children in our home, and you can probably imagine that there have been a few violations of this command over the years. Complaining is so commonplace in our culture that it sometimes just blends into the conversation like background noise with barely any notice from anybody, and this is really quite dangerous to us in a spiritual sense. Well, partially because we're told not to complain. The KJV uses the word grudge. The English Standard Version says do not grumble, and here, of course, we have don't complain. All three words capture the overall sense of the Greek word there, which is stenazo, and most directly translates to maybe our word groan. We aren't supposed to groan about each other, and specifically James is telling us not to groan or grumble or complain about other Christians. He doesn't actually literally mean your brothers or sisters, but don't tell my kids that. I'd sort of like them to think that that's what he means, at least a little bit. But he's talking about not only your brothers and sisters, but all of your Christian brothers and sisters. And here's his reason. If you groan, complain, and grumble about other people, then you need to remember that you will be judged. And you need to know, says James, that the judge is really, really close by. In fact, he's right there at the door. So why are we going to be judged for complaining, James? What in the world is the big deal? Hey, I'm just blown off steam, man. Why are you so harsh on me for complaining? Well, here's three reasons from the Word of God why complaining is so bad for you and bad for me. Number one, we find out in various places in Scripture, complaining severely displeases God, and I mean like a lot. For instance, we see in passages like Numbers 11 verse 1, now the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship, and when the Lord heard, his anger burned, and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. (laughs) Okay, so that's terrifying. And Paul reminds us of the dangers of grumbling in 1 Corinthians 1.10, talking about all of the times the Hebrews had come under judgment for complaining, and he says, don't grumble like some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. So, We don't grumble and complain and groan because God has a severe dislike for it. Second, complaining or grumbling or groaning about others ignores the fact that you're just as bad, if not worse. If I'm complaining about somebody else, I'm probably just as bad as they are, just in a probably a bit of a different area. Remember, Jesus said, judge not so you won't be judged. And James is saying something very similar here. Don't complain about other people so you won't be judged because, again, you're just as guilty as they are, just about something different. Recall James 2 from a couple of days ago. James 2 verse 13 specifically where he says, Judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So complaining against somebody is just like judging them. 
Complaining against somebody is almost the opposite of showing mercy. So if you're complaining against people frequently, you're putting yourself in that position of a judge and you are inviting yourself and your deeds to be judged. And again, James says, by the way, the judge is right there at the door of your heart. And if you're not showing mercy to other people, that are wronging you or aggravating you or bothering you or whatever it is, then you are not going to be shown mercy by God, James 2.13 tells us. And hey, that's pretty terrifying, right? Well, number three, complaining is very nearly the opposite of love. They will know we are disciples of Jesus by our love, says Jesus. He that doesn't love doesn't know God, says John. The greatest thing to do, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, is to love. And Peter says that we are to love each other above all in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10, which says, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Well, love covers over sins and aggravations and forgives them. A person of Jesus that is walking in love won't have anything to complain about because they are aware of the requirement to forgive and they are aware that they themselves have been forgiven and thus they must forgive others lest they forfeit their own forgiveness. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't selfish or self-centered. Complaining, on the other hand, is impatient. It's harsh. And it's all about me, 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 me. So I want to close with some wise words from our brother Charles Spurgeon on walking in contentment and running away from complaining. He quotes from Philippians 4, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, says Paul. Philippians 4.11. Spurgeon writes, These words show us that contentment is not a natural propensity of man. Ill weeds grow everywhere, he quotes. Covetousness, discontent, and murmuring are as natural to man as thorns and weeds are to the soil. We need not sow the seeds of thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough because they are indigenous to the earth. And so we don't need to teach men to complain similarly. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we have to plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be the garden and all the gardener's care. Now, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven, and if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It's the new nature alone from Jesus that can produce it. And even then, we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. Paul says, I have learned to be content, as much as to say he did not know how to be content at one time. It cost him some pains to attain to the mystery of the great truth of contentment. No doubt he sometimes thought he had learned and then broke down, and when at last he had attained unto it, he could say, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He was an old, gray-headed man upon the borders of the grave, a poor prisoner shut up in Nero's dungeon at Rome when he wrote that. We might well be willing to endure Paul's infirmities and share the cold dungeon with him if we too might any means, by any means necessary attain unto his good degree and his learning of contentment. Don't indulge the notion that you can be contented with learning or learn without discipline. It's not a power that may be exercised naturally, but a science to be acquired gradually. We know this from experience. Brother, 
Hush that murmur and complaint, natural though it might be, and continue to be a diligent pupil in the college of content. Great words from Spurgeon there. Let's continue with 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. After this, David defeated the Philistines, subdued them, and took Gath and its surrounding villages from Philistine control. He also defeated the Moabites, and they became David's subjects and brought tribute. David also defeated King Hadaditzer of Zobah at Hamath when he went to establish his control at the Euphrates River. David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers from him, hamstrung all the horses, and kept 100 chariots. When the Arameans of Damascus came to assist King Hadaditzer of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 Aramean men, Then he placed garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Arameans became David's subjects and brought tribute. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David took the gold shields carried by Hadaditzer's officials and brought them to Jerusalem. From Tibhath and Kun, Hadaditzer's cities, David also took huge quantities of bronze, from which Solomon made the bronze basin, the pillars, and the bronze articles. When King Tu of Hamath heard that David had defeated the entire army of King Hadaditzer of Zobah, he sent his son Hadoram to King David to greet him and congratulate him because David had fought against Hadaditzer and defeated him for Tu and Hadaditzer had fought many wars. Hadoram brought all kinds of gold, silver, and bronze items. King David also dedicated these to the Lord along with the silver and gold he had carried off from all the nations, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and the Amalekites. Abishai, son of Zariah, struck down 18,000 Edomites in the Salt Valley. He put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites were subject to David. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all of Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was court historian. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Shavshah was court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were the chief officials at the king's side. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundation of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Luke chapter 7 verse 1. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. 
When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. The report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people, and he replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the man who isn't offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet... This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way for you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized him, by him they rejected the plan of God for themselves. To what then should I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other, We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For the John the the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, 
kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is and who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who he forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told them. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, amen. Friends, may you walk in saving faith from Jesus. May your eyes be fixed on him and his word dwell richly in your heart. Good day to you and Godspeed.